Hi everyone, I'm Matt Arts. Welcome to a mini-series in partnership with the Royal Anthropological Institute of Great Britain in Ireland. This mini-series was created in anticipation of the upcoming Anthropology, AI, and the Future of Human Society virtual conference, which is being held from June 6th through the 10th of this year, 2022. So sit back and enjoy, and let's talk about the future. Hey everyone, uh, I'm here today with Odid Bental. Today we'll be talking a little bit about artificial intelligence and music. So Odid is a composer, researcher, teacher, working at the intersection of music, computing, and cognition. He's a senior lecturer of music technology at Kingston University, has a doctor of musical arts from Stanford and a bachelor's in physics before that, which is, you know, obviously there is a relationship, but it does sound quite interesting, the pivot from one to the other. And um, leading a new uh, research network by the name of Data Sounds, Datasets, and Datasets Sense Research Network. And then, uh, as it relates to the upcoming conference, you're a convener of the AI and Creativity Panel and uh, presenting a paper titled Music Question Mark Artificial Intelligence. And so, we're going to talk about all that today. So, thanks for uh, participating in this mini series. Would you maybe just share a little bit about how you got interested in music and particularly the application of machine learning to music? So it's interesting that you started with the uh, background of physics and music. So um, I, in a sense, I dithered uh, until after my undergraduate degree. So I did actually two undergraduate degrees, uh, one in physics at university and one uh, music composition at a music academy. So two very different kind of in, uh, institutions and environment. And it was kind of interesting to uh, walk from a class where they talked about linearity and it means one thing and then go to the music class and it talk about linearity and it means completely that, different thing. Uh, so I did it about what I'm interested in and uh, kind of compromise in a sense by going to do a, a doctoral studies at Stanford where one of the reasons I, want, I wanted to go there was because of computer music. So I was interested in the way technology uh, uh, can assist or, or, or is part of the creative process. Um, and uh, my kind of creativity, my own composition is the kind of thing that really is kind of the heart of what I'm interested in. Uh, how do we make music in all sorts of different ways? And that's how I ended up uh, engaged in this machine learning uh, approaches. I was introduced to this specifically uh, through a colleague um, who also passed to Stanford, actually. Um, and we worked together on the research uh, that it also involved data and music. Uh, and he uh, decided to apply uh, a kind of text-based machine learning, machine learning uh, kind of LSTM specifically, that was developed for texts. And he found a data uh, source of tech of music in textual representation. So really characters, ABC characters. Uh, and uh, applied uh, that kind of machine learning to that really large collection of uh, Irish tunes. And I think the, the, the initial thing is that we were surprised how relatively good the result was. So you don't, uh, you uh, get a computer that 
you don't feed it any information, any knowledge about music. You don't teach it music. We call it machine learning, but of course, it's not really learning. Or it's definitely not learning the way humans learn. It's kind of a completely different beast. And we were surprised that this relatively simplistic approach that you just show the computer a lot of data points can result in something that's, that is kind of plausibly, uh, um, music related. And that started the, uh, for us, this was kind of a sign that, okay, there's something interesting there. And we started exploring from that. Uh, and of course, the, one thing is that there is this kind of initial phase of you just kind of match. Okay. I have data. I have technology. Let's see what happens when I bring them together. Um, but then it, uh, the interesting, at least for us, the kind of the, the really interesting things happen afterwards when you start asking a question. So what? So I have a system that can generate, uh, textual representations that are plausibly, or some of them are plausibly Irish tunes. Uh, why is that important or why is it useful? Is it useful? Is it uh, threatening? Uh, is it creative? Uh, and that's kind of good. What does we mean? What do we mean by creativity? Uh, what does it mean for the kind of future of musicianship? So, uh, these kind of questions are kind of the more interesting ones, uh, for, I, we think, uh, in the future rather than, uh, here is a great system that can make music. And that led to both the, uh, panel on creativity and AI that uh, Matt and I will be part of in few in next month or a little bit less, more, right? Uh, and also to the um, data sense uh, network that I'm kind of, it's a proposal that I uh, wrote with others and am now leading, uh, which at, at a kind of basic level tries to ask, um, what are the gaps between music and data or, or, you know, what can, what can data and music do together well, or what kind of data, uh, is relevant to music and how do we make that data more relevant or mu more musical or, and more available? And what are the kind of questions that we really need to be asking in order to, uh, really understand this kind of new way, new ways of engaging with music? Put us in a time frame. At what point did you start, uh, you know, getting involved in using machine learning to assist creativity? So I think that was 2016, uh, thereabouts. We started, um, uh, working with that. Uh, and as it, so, uh, we got a database of, uh, what it's called session music specifically. Uh, and it's uh, music that's kind of originally these kind of dance jigs and reels and, and all that. Um, but it's uh, no longer kind of danced to, but it's kind of played in pubs and festivals and stuff. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, coming into it, you call it Irish music until you get talk to people who are actually involved in it and say, well, there, it's not, it's not all Irish. Some there are kind of Scottish tunes and Irish tunes and Breton tunes and their Irish music outside of it. So that was, one, for example, one of the things that this uh, adventure um, 
brought us to is that coming to a field from the outside, you see data and you think, okay, this is data, I'll plug it. And then when you start talking to people who know what this data actually represents, what is the actual music, there are all sorts of nuances and knowledge that is um, necessary to understand and interpret this data that, of course, uh, the machine learning it has com is completely oblivious to and is not uh, part of the process until you start digging under and asking kind of musical questions rather than technological questions. And, and that's kind of a good lead into almost where I was going, which is, you know, I asked about the year just to get a sense of at what point you started using this technology, because presumably before that, in your own composition, you likely used other technologies to spur creativity. We all, all of us in the sort of the creative fields do, you know, whether that's like Brian Eno's cards from the past, I, I forget the name of them right now, right? That sort of to help you sort of generate random ideas or something like this. It's really just a tool that happens to present itself at a certain period in time. And we're choosing to sort of pull it into this process. But what I think from my perspective, knowing a little bit about the field, what I think a lot of people get wrong is they think in many ways, it's just writing everything for you. And, you know, you just sort of, you know, feed it the data and it, it's done. And I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate that uh, a lot of people in this space are using these as tools to help spur creativity and they're sort of mixing and mashing ideas. And so it might, maybe you get out a little bit of a melody, but then you rework it, you know, or you, you somehow continue on with it, expand it. Um, at least that's the way I've been using sort of creative AI within the music space. It's never just presenting me with a whole idea that I use in full. So could you just maybe for the sake of like the, the conference and, and the theme of AI, uh, maybe talk a little bit about how in, you, in the music pieces you've created with this, that you might be doing what I said or not doing that, you know, are you basically using it as a tool to help you? Or is this like an end all be all in itself that it's just producing complete music for you? Yeah, uh, it's it's not an end all and be all, and and it's not. I'm I'm not even interested in offloading. Uh, I mean, some people uh, are interested in kind of designing a system that will produce music and then stay true to the output of the system. This is kind of one approach, uh, and that you're kind of one in a sense one step remote. You're composing through. Uh, you're composing an agent that will compose music. Uh, and my approach is different. My approach is, uh, as you said, so I was interested before that in what kind of things can the interaction between me and a computer uh, uh, create or how I can uh, use the new technology as part of my compositional language or compositional tools. Um, and machine learning was kind of uh, one of them, that became one of them. And I'm always interested in kind of trying the possibilities um, of a kind of new technology like that. And one of the kind of interesting things for me in that uh, process is that what I thought will happen when we got, when I started is not what actually happened. In, in the detail. So um, one of the things when we started looking at our Irish tunes, the, the Irish tune that were generated by the system, uh, we decided, okay, uh, 
one of the question is how do we know how do we evaluate these tunes and that's a, 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 always a question when you're talking about creative systems uh it's a kind of question how do you evaluate it it's kind of an important research question it's not enough to say okay i i produce something the the results sound good that means the system is good that's that's not science that's not research so when we thought about uh how to evaluate it we thought okay i'm a composer let's pretend that this system is a composition student that comes to me with some pieces and i uh, look at them and evaluate them evaluate them as composition kind of what can i do and we discovered that it does some basic musical things it knows how to uh take motives and and transform them uh and repetition and stuff so when it came to my own music which is suddenly not traditional irish music i thought okay here i i'll i'll just uh, uh give the system some you know some of my own themes and i'll get some interesting variations on them that i didn't um uh, find my own that i didn't invent i didn't think about these kind of possibilities and of course it, uh, it that, that didn't happen at all once i gave them system that was trained on traditional irish music things that did not sound traditional irish the system basically mostly broke down uh so that was in itself a kind of uh an interesting thing that um prodding the t- the system interrogating it creatively is a research method you kind of when you just let the system run on itself you don't uncover the problem or or you don't uncover a lot of the kind of problems and the fragility of the learning and the limitations and that uh so that what what ensued from the kind of creative point of view is a long process of uh changing some parameters in the system seeing what comes out and say okay i don't like this and doing it again and again and again and after 100 times you start getting things that i did like and i also this started understanding how i can navigate the system and that's one of the things that is interesting <laughs> and um problematic or challenging in in machine learning is that the res- the relationship between the inputs and outputs is uh anything but transparent uh so you you can change some parameters it's very difficult to know what you'll come out at the end unlike uh other kind of computer tools where uh you know you when you're doing uh, some synthesis you know uh okay i can change the frequency and that will change the pitch uh in these kind of machine learning there is a lot of uh there is this kind of black box that does fairly complicated uh, mathematics and it means it produces kind of surprising results which could be inspiring but it also means that it's difficult for you kind of as a kind of work process to figure out what you want to do with it so uh indeed it's uh or or kind of the interest for me the interesting bits of ai creative ai is not when you're kind of trying to automate things that are we already know how to do but when you're trying to discover things that you wouldn't discover in another way and as you said kind of this idea of kind of engaging with some new process to to kind of inspire you to try new things uh it has a long history in 
in uh, music and other arts, uh, I presume. To me, one of the interesting things in uh, specifically to AI is the, the kind of machine learning is that while it is not a particularly, it's not human musicality, it does have musical traces. Unlike, you know, Brian Eno's cards, which are totally arbitrary in a sense. And, and that's, that's their strength, right? That they're totally arbitrary and you have as a creative uh, person have to contend with this arbitrariness. In this case, if you want to compose to co-create with an AI, you have to contend with some traces of human music that are not you. Right? And, and that's kind of an interesting challenge in itself. That is. And so maybe we can use that to relate it to the concept of what is musically intelligent, you know, one of the questions you've you've kind of posed because and to connect that to the concept of and maybe we can get to this part second, but it it does seem to raise the question of, you know, derivative work, right? And and if we're producing new intellectual property that is trained on old intellectual property essentially, on old music, you know, who owns it, right? Who who gets to uh, to say that they really created that. Is there any questions there? And so maybe we'll we'll get to that in a second, but to to build towards that, I guess I'll, I'll put back the question to you of, you know, what, what would you define as musically intelligent? Yeah, that's a, a, a good and a, 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 diff a really difficult uh, question. Of course, we don't have definition of either music or intelligence. Uh, which, which already shows you the, the problem. Um, but, uh, it's a combination of, uh, talent and skill and aptitude and, um, underlying and, uh, second things like imagination. So it's a kind of very vague, uh, uh, notion. And I think once we start doing um computationally creative systems you know once we apply artificial intelligence to music it really explodes the, the this question that we don't really know what does musically intelligent mean uh, there is a lot of implicit knowledge in doing music which you discover when you try to kind of get computers to be musical uh, and, and that's not new to AI. If you look back at kind of some of the, um, original and, and, um, I, I, I do this in, in some of my lectures when I presented this. So one of the earliest pieces that we know, um, it's called the Iliac Suite. If uh, nobody knows it, you can search it out. It's a string quartet written in uh, the fifties using one of the original computers where they programmed, um, uh, the kind of rules of 16th century Western Renaissance music. Uh, and then I got the computer, okay, so now compose that music, music based on these rules. And the result sounds nothing like the music that is supposed to be modeling, which tells you that, and, and the interesting one, the interesting that they took the rules from the, these rules were a pedagogical tool that is still in use now is still taught to, to music students in music academies as a way to learn music. And the fact that giving these computers formulating, formulating them to computers, and then the computers produces music that is 
fine, but has no resemblance to the style, shows you that there is a lot of uh, unwritten rules that we uh, pick up on when we listen to music. And I think these kind of things are, are the really crucial bits about what being musically intelligent, right? Uh, understanding uh, what are the implicit rules uh, and regularities and what are uh, more important, less important, and then gradually learning when you can break the rules and break the rules in kind of interesting ways and what is different between breaking the rules in a way that is uh, not musical and way that is musical. And there might be disagreement between you and me about what is uh, musically appropriate at any given time. So uh, there are a lot of implicit knowledge uh, that goes into uh, what is musically intelligent. And arguably, there's, you know, there's certainly a conversation to be had there about, uh, you know, cross-culturally, you know, what does all of this mean, of course, which is, you know, a, a very lengthy conversation in itself. But when you speak of these rules, um, you know, we are probably still programming rules, per se, you know, that are highly Western and are not necessarily inclusive of, you know, of all musical uh, languages around the world. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, definitely. And uh, for example, one of the one of the issues that the research network that we are uh, just started in January, um, we want to look at these uh, issues of inclusivity and diversity and ethical use of, of data, and how do we uh, avoid or try to. Ex to, to explain what happens, to kind of repeat what happened in, in a lot of kind of data intensive fields where the, uh, there are baked, there are biases in the way the data is collected and presented. Uh, and then these biases get baked into the systems. Uh, and of course it's, uh, it's a nice, it's, it's a, it's a good notion to, uh, it's important notion to look at that and acknowledge that and, and, uh, see what you can do about it. It's probably not tot not very easy to overcome this. Uh, for example, one of the things that, you know, our project started with Irish music, mainly because we, we found the data. Uh, and, and that's kind of one of the things, the kind of what is the availability of data guides a lot of the research. And one of the things that we have been talking for quite a while and never managed to implement yet uh, is okay, can we uh, now do this to non-Western um, uh, music? I mean, we started with the kind of traditional folk music. Can what can we do it to uh, folk music from somewhere else? And uh, intriguing, uh, and I'll, we are both, uh, we are kind of very interested, but getting kind of what is the kind of data and where do you, can you get it? And where do you get the expertise to understand what you're doing uh, and, and matching all these uh, together uh, is not an easy uh, problem. And there are some, uh, I'm glad that now we're starting this network and we've been kind of talking to various people and, and doing some online seminars and there are, uh, there are some instances of, of uh, using data that is not 
uh, Western art music. So, so we are kind of making slow progress in that, but it, it is a challenge. As, as you know, tools are coming onto the market already. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, there's Magenta and there's other projects out there that require you to have some technical aptitude to kind of get running and make use of. And then there are tools on the market from tools from like Isotope that just help you clean up audio based upon machine learning to tools that will help you write, you know, basically chord progressions, melodies, bass lines, et cetera. And, you know, they exist today in digital audio workstations at a relatively cheap price for nearly anybody to use. And so where I'm going with this is, do you think like this work over time could end up producing music that starts to sound even more repetitive than maybe say like, I'm speaking kind of in the pop space, you know, whatever pop means at that given moment in time, as these tools become sort of you know, part of the norm, do you think they're going to result in like any kind of more repetitiveness because they're all, or many of them are going to be pulling from the same training sets? Is that something we need to worry about? So I'm going to uh, do a bit of a detour um, in in the way of answers. So uh, in the recent weeks, there was a a, a copyright trial uh, where Ed Sheeran was involved in the UK. I don't know how widely it was reported. Uh, and one of the interesting things for me is that, uh, so he was accused of uh, copyright infringement by um, some other uh, artist. I don't know. And he took, he was on the stand and he gave evidence. And essentially he said, I'm paraphrasing, pop music is all the same anyway. You know, we all use only five chords and the melodies are almost the same every, every, anywhere for everyone. Uh, so what do you want from me? Uh, and, uh, and I thought, and someone who is, who has zero interest in pop music. Yeah. I've been saying this to my students all the time. And now there is an authority that says that. So, uh, and, and interestingly, he was referring back to Nina Simone, for example, and stuff. So, so n- not some very recent thing, kind of as a kind of a long history of basically doing a kind of o- operating within a very limited confined space. Now, whether, uh, these tools are going to make, uh, the music even more, uh, constricted, possibly, um, I think the, as I kind of mentioned casually before, I think the kind of, re- for me, the kind of really interesting challenge uh, in new technology and AI for creativity is imagination. So how do we uh, get people to imagine a system, you know, in a few years time that uh, can generate anything you imagine? Uh, I, I, uh, so, so th- then the challenge becomes, how do you imagine something new, right? So, uh, and how do you, uh, c- create a system? I think, uh, even kind of closer than the kind of 20, 30, 50 years of system that can do anything. How do you create a system that on the one hand assists the human to, uh, create stuff? while giving that human more skills, developing their skills to uh, imagine new things rather than just uh, repeat and recreate. 
And I think kind of this balance between uh, assisting and uh, channeling into kind of very limited um, uh, avenues is, I think, the, the real challenge of this new technology. Now, uh, on kind of, I'm, uh, I'm somewhat surprisingly optimistic about this technology in a sense that, like a lot of technology, I think the most interesting things about will happen when people start breaking it. And I think there's things that are already happening. Kind of people who uh, are not just using it for what it's supposed to be supposedly doing, but finding how ways to subvert it and break it and find where it's not quite operating and finding interesting stuff in there. But of course, this is not something that most people will do. Right? So uh, just like the TV and the turntable and whatever things, most of us use it in the way it was designed. Some of us try to find innovative ways of using it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You know, a very simple example there is like, say, in, in Apple's Logic, there's the drummer program. I will take that and use it to maybe like make a handpan, you know, melody out of because it has an element of repetitiveness, you know, and, and I find it sort of lends itself well to doing things like that. And so, um, you know, I like trying to bend the tech always um, and think, like you say, sort of people on on the edges will also share a little bit of a worry that it will uh that the majority of use might just use it in the way that it's intended. But um, I guess the maybe a bigger question there, though, is related to IP. And do you, you know, in, say in the case of with these Irish, uh, you know, the sort of Irish folk pieces that you had, you know, obviously the music that goes in as the input has this this meaning around it. Those songs are written in, certain, in a certain period of time to reflect any number of things they've they've been embodied in the culture in such a way where many people will have a fondness of those and so coming out of the other end you know i guess two things like what do you think if you were to play that for people who who really love traditional folk music irish folk music do you have have you done that and have they had any reaction to it in any way like does it do they recognize it does it make sense to them does it have any meaning Yes, so we actually did it in several ways. Uh, we actually uh, recruited some musicians and recorded an album uh, of music that it was mostly tunes from generated by our system and selected by one of the musicians, fairly carefully selected and curated and, and you know, with minor edits and a few, uh, you know, real traditional tunes. <laughs> Sorry. So we recorded this album and we first, um, we, we did a kind of a mini experiment. Uh, so we released it surreptitiously with a kind of back with a cover story. Uh, and, uh, it was a totally acceptable, uh, within, uh, the small, com very small communities of people who, um, who look at those things. And it got some reviews, it got some radio plays. Um, and then uh, we told the people who reviewed actually this, um, you know, the, the actual story. Uh, and one of them got back to us um, with kind of fairly detailed and interesting comments and, you know, re-listening to it in uh, after, kind of with the, with the real story. Uh, 
he kind of picked out on kind of specific things like this part is very similar to 19th century da 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 da, and this part is very similar to the things that these and this band was doing in the 80s, uh, which was kind of interesting. Kind of a lot of nuances and, and local and kind of very detailed knowledge that, of course, we didn't have when we made the system. Um, so, but this, of course, it's it's not a kind of remember uh, we actually got human musicians to carefully select and construct this and play this. And uh, this is a, this is a, a type of music that is, uh, you know, the, the extemporizing that players do on the spot is really important. So it's not, it's not so much as a kind of proof that computers can be creative. Uh, it's more of a proof that this system can be, can prompt you to, you people to be creative. And the players we uh, recruited, they actually, um, you know, for example, one of them uh, said that initially when he was approached about this, we, we did some concerts before we did the, the uh, we did kind of as part of events, that one of the guys who was uh, involved in it kind of was very reluctant at first because of the kind of computer music, why computer generated tunes, why should he do that? But then he actually liked some of the tunes. And he said, I really want to play them. And that was the reaction, uh, kind of the mixed reaction. So within this uh, community, we did several things, interaction with these kind of session musicians and the people. And some people have a very negative reaction uh, conceptually and, and ideologically and all sorts of stuff. And, and some people, the, the part with, that we kind of are more in tune with is people who say, okay, there is potential there. I can use it. I can take this. And they were kind of making interesting comment that the tunes that they currently play uh, have a murky history uh, and probably evolved and kind of were polished by many generations of people. And the other final thing I will say, which is about this, the music is connected in story, one of the players that we involved in told us who studied th this as well said that you know if you look so often in when this music is played by someone in the festival they will start with a story this is a tune i heard in the dine i learned it from something like and if you go to their different performances they'll take the different stories every time and they're all fictional stories there, there's very little true in them uh, but they sound good and they connect with the audience and the audience kind of buy them. And, and they kind of, it's a kind of game in a sense for some of these players to, they kind of know this, that they can invent whatever story or however outlandish it is and people will buy it. Uh, and, and I was surprised that the really thin cover story that we provided for our, um, album was accepted without, and I thought we will get caught immediately by the lies, but everybody just took it. Uh, so in a sense, it tells us that uh, this kind of, it is part of culture. There is a kind of surrounding uh, contextual um, thing within a kind of mini subculture, but it's kind of malleable and there are a lot of um, fiction and uh, fiction making in there as well, which where computers or, or uh, you know, artificial intelligence or artificial intelligent machine learning produced tunes can slot right in without doing any harm. 
just curious, what do you hope to, you know, what do you want to see come of all of this, of all the research you're involved in? What, what would be the end game? Well, there is no, there's no end game. There is just an ongoing uh, development. So I'm interested in, uh, again, this kind of co-creation, kind of various ways in which um, a human and a computer can work together to uh, create music. And this involves both kind of, I do it as a composer, I kind of work with the system. I also do it in kind of live situation, kind of imp improvised or semi-improvised situations uh, where the computer is kind of an active agent who kind of listens to the performer and reacts. I think uh, what I would like to see for the kind of creative AI field uh, is a field that is less uh, or, or moves away from a kind of technologically deterministic one uh, uh, mindset where it's all about developing new machine learning methods. Uh, and, and that is complemented or, or in addition to this happened a lot of kind of questions about the practice where this is coming from. So instead of just doing, okay, let's find a technology that can make paintings, let's do kind of development that's kind of informed by art history and uh, art appreciation and critical uh, uh, discourse. And a lot of the knowledge that uh, was accumulated in arts and humanities uh, about asking the right questions uh, about where, where, where can this uh, technology uh, can add and uh, open the field of creative practice rather than uh, focusing on how this technology can replace humans in, in some tasks, which I think is, is not conductive and it's also uh, not very plausible. I mean, in some circumscribed uh, instances, like uh, maybe, you know, mastering uh, tracks, for example, or, or this possibly. But I think the more interesting question is uh, not how technology can replicate human uh, activities, but how it can uh, uh, open, do something that humans, we can't do. Yeah, no, I think that's a great place to end it. So if anybody's interested in getting in touch with you, um, where, where is a good place to find you? Um, I have a website on, um, it's a, one of the Wix websites. If you search for me, you'll find it. Um, and uh, the FolkRNN project is folkrnn.org, uh, where you can uh, find. And then the uh, current research network is um, music.sense.org. Let's me check that this is actually correct, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, music.sense.org has, and we have uh, online seminars every month and also some uh, other kind of videos and stuff that we're, we're gradually connecting. Well, Odin, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks all for listening. For more information on the Anthropology, AI, and the Future of Human Society virtual conference, visit the Royal Anthropological Institute's website. I'm Matt Arts, and I hope to see you virtually at the conference.